Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. Now, um, on this, uh, in the Spirit on the Lord's day, I want to read this. This is from Rick Renner, um, because I believe it's important on what happened. A, a lot of times I think people just think that, you know, I don't know what they think. Early tradition from the Isle of Patmos specifically states that John was in the cave that he had made his temporary home. Remember, this cave is like, a, it's like kind of like an Alcatraz, but they don't have cells. You just kind of have to make it on your own. Um, home at the time when he was caught into another realm and received the book of Revelations. The term, I was in the spirit, the word was, came from a Greek word, genome, something like that. This word in this case describes something that happens unexpectedly or something that catches one off guard. And this tells us that John was not expecting this divine encounter and he found himself in the spirit. Now, does that sound like anything else in the Bible we've read about? Anybody? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, so when we get to Rev, uh, Revelations 4, which will be because after we finish 3, we're going to go into the Daniel 70 weeks and come back into Revelations 4. This starts painting a picture of and how I've taught that Revelation 4 is the raptured saints. And we're going to see the differences between them and Revelation 7, which are the mid-tribulation saints. Okay, so he was uh, not expecting this divine encounter and he found himself in the spirit. The word spirit is capitalized in the King James Version of the Bible, but in the original Greek it is not. Actually, the phrase, in the Spirit, is a translation of Greek of the Greek words, in, E-N, pneumic, um, spirit, you know, P-N-E-U-M-A-T-I-C. This phrase lacks a definite article and should therefore be translated in a way I never could have planned, predicted, or anticipated I suddenly found myself in spirit on the Lord's day. Now, the phrase, uh, the, this phrase in spirit is a term to describe another realm, another dimension, or a spiritual realm far different from the natural world that surrounded John. This is what, what is going to also take place on the day of the rapture. Boom, in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be in a different realm. I mean, it's just going to be like, how, how would you even describe that? You're walking into Walmart. You're pumping gas in your car. And all of a sudden, boom, unexpectedly, no consideration of, you're in a different realm. Now it says on the Lord's Day, this is not Sunday. It's actually on Emperor's Day in the Roman uh, uh, and he goes through a long dissertation. I'm actually reading what Rick Renner wrote. And uh, it's a very specific word, kyriakos, something like that. And in his longer description, he goes into to why they know that it was Emperor's Day, which was primarily used to describe Emperor's Day, meaning, meaning that Christ revealed himself on the very day that the entire Roman Empire was spe specifically celebrating the supposed deity of the wicked emperor Domitian. Okay, so uh, I wanted to expand upon that in verse 10 because it's actually very important because it, it is going to tie into Revelation chapter 4 and we'll go over that when we get to chapter 4. He says, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, which Alpha is the beginning letter of the Greek alphabet and Omega is the last letter like A and Z. What thou seest, write in a book. Now, this is where we're going to walk into some, some, some things. I'm going to try to clarify as we go, but um, there were seven, in fact, uh, uh, can we put the picture up? I, I pulled a picture out of the book. Uh, there's a book that Tammy and I are reading by Rick Renner. It's called A Light in the Darkness. It's by Rick Renner that walks through this. It's like a $60 book. It's about that big, about this big. I mean, it's heavy, but you can see here, this is the geographic location of uh, that area, which is now modern day Turkey. Um, which if you see Smyrna uh, kind of over to the left right there, right on the ocean, that's the uh, Mediterranean uh, sea right there. So he says, what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. So the dots right there are the seven churches 
that are in Asia. Uh, but now a lot of people think that, you know, in the letters that he wrote, like they each got a letter, but he said, write what you see right in a book. So there's seven letters, but they're put in a book, and so they're sent out. Now, why is this important? It's important in, in my thinking. Um, because everybody, now you know the seven letters are going to deal with that, like a letter written to the church of Ephesus. That deals with Ephesus and what they're going through. But it was sent to all of them because the way I would say it is people have been people ever since people's been people. And they all need to read what was going on and what God was looking at. Now there's, there's doctrines on this. Uh, and a dimensional, uh, um, din not, uh, what's, what's, dispensationalist will teach this as every book represents a specific period of time. Now, uh, in this book, Rick, Rick Renner has it listed, so I took a picture of it, so I'm going to read it. Um, and, and what it would be, this is a dispens dispensational time frame of an explanation, meaning every book was represented a time frame throughout history. So I'm going to read you the time frames. Now, I don't agree with this doctrine. It's a very big doctrine. I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of doctrines in eschatology, the study of end times, and this is one that people have broken down. Now, it's not one that I agree with. Uh, it's not going to make a difference to your, to your salvation, but uh, uh, just understanding it that the book of Ephesus was during the Apostolic Age, which was Pentecost to 170 A.D. Now, in my interpretation, the reason why I don't agree with it is because that means there would be no need for apostles because there was no longer an Apostolic Age. And apostles are just as real today as what they were back then. That uh, the, uh, To Smyrna was the age of persecution from 170 to 312, which we still see persecution of the church, uh, throughout the world. Pergam Pergamum was the age of false doctrine, which was 312 AD to 606. Uh, we've got huge false doctrines roaming around today. Uh, Thyatira, I wouldn't call this a, a false doctrine. I would just say that I don't agree with the interpretation uh, of this because I believe every letter is just as real for us today as it was in every age uh, element. Uh, Thyatira, the age of darkness, 606 to 1520 A.D., which darkness is covering the earth right now. Sardis, the age of Reformation, 1520 to 1750 A.D. Uh, Philadelphia, the age of missions, 1750 to 1906. Missions is still as important today as it was back in the Apostolic Age. Uh, Laodicea, the age of apostasy, 1906 to present. Now, <clears throat> we have just as much apostasy as we do right now. So in the looking of these letters that we're going to go through... What happened is he was, John was told to put them all in a book and give it to all the churches. Okay, but now comes the question of how did he do that, which we'll get us into a little bit more here in just a minute. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, if you look at this, see if I can do this without falling off the stage and doing everything else. It kind of, in the listing in the Bible um, of, of how the churches are listed in the letters, if you start at Ephesus, Go to Smyrna, go to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You have the most direct path around all them. And they actually have, let me read this other uh, section on, on here um, about the, the system of the day. Um, during the New Testament times, an excellent Roman road system provided an ideal means by which believers in Jesus Christ could travel from Ephesus to other major Asian, Asia Minor cities to establish churches and to preach the gospel. By the time Jesus Christ appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos in approximately 96 AD, churches had been established in the seven uh, Asia Minor cities named in the book of Revelations, ministering in pagan atmosphere of rampant immorality and fierce persecution each church faced its own unique challenges and problems, all of which were addressed by Jesus. And so really what I'm wanting to glean out of there is there was a roadway system put in by the Roman government 
uh, on these. Now, I have been, I've been to Turkey, and I've been to every one of these sites except for Laodicea and Philadelphia. But I've been to the other ones. Smyrna is modern-day Izmir. That's actually where I stayed. Beautiful city uh, on the Mediterranean right there. Just very beautiful. But all of these no longer exist. And, and I think that that's important because these are, these are churches that Jesus dealt directly with, and they're all ruins now. So like where Smyrna is, which is modern-day Izmir, in the city center, you can kind of look up on the hill and you see it up there. So there's, it's really kind of a non-inhabited area where Smyrna used to be. I walked in the underground aqueduct system uh, that they had there. It's very ingenious and everything that they, they did to create that. But the city is no longer there. Ephesus is remarkable. You can go online and look at um, pictures of Ephesus. I mean, they've excavated the roads and the pillars and the libraries. I've walked down through all of that. But it's no longer, there is a, a modern day city, Ephesus. It's a few miles before you get to the historic Ephesus. And it's just a rinky dink little town. Uh, but it, this Ephesus is a ruin. Now, you have to stop and think. These were powerful churches that Jesus Christ himself wrote a letter to that no longer exists. How can that be? How come the church is not strong enough? How come the church continually walks in destruction or doesn't fulfill its call? And I think that's where these things become important to us that we need to understand it. Now, uh, so verse 12. Okay, so... Let me just read a couple of other statistics before we get to verse 12. Um, in the picture of this area, they say there was about a thousand cities in Asia Minor at the time. Uh, the point that I was just making, why are these important historical biblical sites now in ruins? Uh, Jesus uh, sent letters to seven cities, which were the largest and the most pagan. Now, in verse 12, he says, and I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, hold your place there and go down to verse 20. And at the, um, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So go back to verse 12. So when I turned to see... The voice that spake with me, and I, I turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, which were the seven churches that he's getting ready uh, to ad address. Now, uh, he goes on and says, or before we go on to verse 13, the thing I want to point out here is notice that he's writing to churches and not to people. Now, we have a, a modern doctrine that I am the church. I don't, I don't need y'all because I am the church. We are the, I am the body of Christ. If you study scriptures, at best, you're a, a cell within the body. You're a member of the body. So the connectivity is important. And in Jesus's view, he's dealing with churches, not with individuals. Now, there's people doing things within the churches, but he's dealing with them as, as a body part. And important to remember. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks... In the midst of the seven churches, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now John is describing Jesus that he sees. His head and his hairs were white like, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. I'm going to refer back to that in just a minute. And his feet like fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as of the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he had seven stars. Now, in his right hand, he had seven stars. Now, go back over to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. And his feet like fine brass, verse 15, as if they burned, verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. So now, what's a sharp two-edged sword? 
the word of God. Okay. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. Now, I, I want you to visualize Christ here in, a, in, in just a moment or in, in with these different items. But I want to focus on two. It says his countenance was like uh, was as the sun shining in its strength. Now, you got to remember, he's in the Middle East. So it's hot over there. Okay, so it's, it's, it's like, you know, in the middle of the, the day in the bright sun, you know, you can't look at the sun. And then going back, I said, I'm going to reference this and come back to it. Verse 14 says, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Can you imagine looking on him that his countenance was as bright as the noonday sun, but you could see his eyes through that as a flaming fire? Now, John is one that, you know, he laid his head on Jesus's chest. Uh, he was the one, as he wrote in the book of John, the disciple that Jesus loved. OK, he, he had these words and terminology. And notice what John did when and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. So so when when John Probably the closest of the three enter, uh, James, uh, Peter, James, and John. The one, that he, the disciple he loved, the one who's getting the revelation of, remember this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, who gets the revelation, who he now sees him in a greater capacity than he's ever seen him before. Now, is this New Testament or Old Testament? Has Day, Day of Pentecost already happened? Okay, so he, he's no stranger to spirit-filled believers. Uh, he was there when, when Jesus showed back up after his passion for 40 days, walked through walls, just appeared, just disappeared, and did all these different things. He was the one that laid his head on Jesus' chest. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's seen, and he falls over dead. What's the, point he, what's the point that I'm making? Well, I'm just a friend of Jesus. We... we we have a very low view of Jesus. I, I said this back whenever I was talking about honor. You know, people come into the sanctuary where we, we set apart that we're going to worship our Jesus, sit on phones, uh, you know, make posts, uh, uh, do other things. And because we have no honor. Do we really, even when we worship him, do we really worship him? Because more than likely, in worship time, now here in America, you know, kind of probably about the same how long it is. You go to some other countries, they'll have an hour and a half, hour, hour and a half worship before they get to the ministry. Uh, would that work here in America? Probably not. Um, you know, we don't, we don't view him. Like he is now, if he's really this king of kings, Lord of lords, that John, when he saw him, he fell as though he was dead. Who walked with him, talked with him, had Jesus reveal things to him, uh, worshipped him, filled with the spirit after the day of Pentecost, was present during his, uh, the 40 days after his, his resurrection. Now, uh, on, we read it last week on the Isle of Patmos for the, the testimony of Christ and for the word of God. And when he sees him, he falls down as dead. We, as as uh, Andrew was um, talking about, we're all going to stand before him one day and give an account of our lives. It's not going to be, hey, bud. Hey, brother. Anyway, and when I saw him, I fell at his, uh, at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand on me and, and um, upon me and said, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of hell and of death. That, so he re, he's... He's revealing here that he is in all authority, all power, that, that he's conquered everything. Now, 
this is a personal, this is David. I think we slap Jesus in the face because we take lightly who he is and what he's done for us. And, and I think it's something that we all should, should deal with. I, I know God is love. I know that he loves us more than we'll ever even imagine, probably. Maybe we'll understand it, the depth of his love for us when we get to heaven. But uh, uh, we take lightly those things. Write the, the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and now this phrase right here, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, this is one of the scriptures that those that teach dispensationalism in the, the letters that they stand upon, the things that shall come. And they say that each letter was for a time frame throughout history. Uh, another reason why I don't buy into that is because that would mean that there is a written word within the word of God that is not relevant to us. And uh, Paul to Timothy said, all scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction. Uh, and so, uh, so all scripture is profitable to us. So if it didn't apply to us, it would not be profitable to us. So the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now this is where we get into kind of a theological debate. And uh, uh, I had Sergey come into my office today as I was um, putting this together and we were kind of bantering back and forth. Uh, well, what if it meant this? Well, how could it mean this? And, da, 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 and we we're going through. Because a lot of times when we <coughs> read this, we simply read angels. Now, Hilton Sutton, who is who we did the, the DVD series on Revelations the last time we did it. He says emphatically that if you say that the angel is a pastor or a, a, the overseer of a church, you are misunderstanding the word of God. And, and his explanation is that he was studying this one time and the Greek word, the Lord told him, go up, look up the Greek word of angels and the Greek word of pastors. And he said, I looked them up and they had nothing to do with, it, with each other. And um, uh, so it can't be that he was referring to the, the leader of the church. Uh, he said the only thing they had in common was the word messenger, that they were a messenger. And so uh, now he used the word pastor, but pastor is just because somebody is an overseer in the church, they lead a church, you know, a body does not mean they're a pastor. In Ephesians chapter four, in the ascension gifts, Jesus said that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some uh, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So just because the per person is behind the pulpit, people may refer to them as pastor. We've made pastor a generic term and a title, which biblically it's not. And uh, there's actually more talked about in the, the New Testament on apostles, prophets, evangelists, and uh, teachers than there is pastors. And so I, I think Hilton's study of that, let me compare those two words being different. So his, his take on this is that the seven letters that Jesus told John to write down, put in a book and send out, were so important that he, he wanted to make sure that the letter got to the church, that, that basically John handed it off to an angel, an angel carried it and handed it off back off to the overseer of the church. Now, I have a hard time with that because we don't see angels working in that capacity, stepping from the spiritual realm into the natural realm, taking a book, going back in, stepping back into the natural realm and handing it to somebody. And it just doesn't make sense. Now, Rick Renner, who I have a lot of respect for also, uh, says that it's not. And he goes into great detail and that is too long to print out and read to. Uh, he says it's not. It's talking about the overseer of the church that he, he took the book. One, uh, I don't really, haven't really heard anybody talk about that. He, he wrote it and then wrote it six more times. So he had seven uh, books. It was more like the way I've understood it is they 
uh, John lived in Ephesus, and when he was off the Isle of Patmos, he came back to Ephesus. The church at Ephesus started with it. It then went to Smyrna. It then went to Pergata, and it went around, and they rewrote it or took out of it uh, the elements of what they, they had for it. So I'm not going to say it's one way or the other, although my opinion is that it's not Hilton Sutton's way, that it is Rick Renner's way, that way he explains it, is that... Uh, John wrote the book, took it back, and then they, they transported it from church to church to church. Now, so he says, uh, seven stars are the angels of seven churches, uh, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So, um, all right, chapter 2, verse 1. Now we get into the, the letters to the churches. And this becomes important because, stomp and think about it for a moment, Jesus is for our benefit, is dealing directly and he tells what, you're doing, what they're doing right and what they're not doing right. What we're not doing right is important, just as Andrew read out of Matthew chapter 7, they thought they were doing everything right, but they were doing some things out of a line. So now verse 1, I'm going to tie back into whether this angel is a uh, an, uh, you know spiritual angel or a uh, mess, uh, overseer of the church, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, in his right hand, he that holds them, that's Jesus. Is he holding the angels? Well, the angels, if we study angelology, it doesn't really look that way, but he holds us in his hand. He walks among the, the, the churches who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks or in the churches. So Jesus is saying, I walk among the churches. I look, I, I'm watching at what is going on and I'm holding the, the angel, the messenger, which I interpret as the, the overseer of the church, whatever ascension gift is placed in that church. He says, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience. And how you cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. Most people nowadays, somebody says they're a prophet, they just believe them and go run off with what they said because they said they're a prophet. You, you have to try the spirit. You have to see if, if, if they're up. And he, he congratulates them. He says, Kudos, guy, man. I, I see what you guys are doing. Just because they came in and said they're apostles, you didn't take it at face value. You, you check for fruit. Do they have the fruit of apostle? And has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You guys keep pushing forward. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. To me, this is, this is the approach I look at. This is a David thing. Is that I don't, the things that I'm doing right are not hurting me. It's the things that I'm doing wrong. I want to know what I'm doing wrong. It seems that Jesus looks at it this way. Hey, congratulations, you did this. Hey, believe me, I know what you're doing. I see it. I'm logging it. But I got an issue. We should want to know the issues. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. So that means they have fell. Which means you can fall. A lot of people think that just because we're living in the New Testament times and grace and love and peace and joy and Jesus died for all and everything, that we're, we're all just okay. But, but he said they did all these good things, but he says, pay attention from where you're falling. You're not walking like you used to walk. Repent and do the first works. So obviously when they got born again, when they came to Christ, when they saw this, go back to the parables that we talked about, the pearl of great price, do the things you did when you found me. Or else. Anybody know what or else means? It's a, it's a warning. I will come unto you quickly and will remove thy candlestick. Now, what was a candlestick? The church. Out of his place, except thou repent. Now, let me go back to. This is Ephesus that we're reading it. Ephesus was a great city, one of the biggest commerce cities of the day, which is now ruined. Do you think it had anything to do with the church? 
if you don't repent, I'm going to remove the candlestick. Oh, wait a minute. We're a Christian nation. We're not acting like it. Most Christians live in fear. What happens if we don't recognize where we've fallen from, what he called, he's called us to? But, but this thou hast, that thou, and now he's come back to a congratulation, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now he did not say he hated the Nicolaitans. He hates, they hate the deeds of the Nicola, Nicolaitans, which I hate also. Now, let me just read to you the Nicolaitans. They most believe that the Nicolaitans came from the Nicholas that was in, I think it's Acts chapter 6, that was, um, uh, his name was Nicholas. And that, that he was one of the ones chosen, you know, called out from among them, full of the Holy Ghost and everything like that. But then he got weird after, um, after he started going and he created the sect. It's, the Nicolaitans are a sect or a party of evil influence in early Christianity, especially in the seven churches of Asia. Their doctrine was similar to that of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast stumbling blocks before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. Their practices were strongly condemned by John, who praised the church in Ephesus for hating their works and blamed the church of Pergamum for accepting in some measure their teachings. Now, the majority of their teachings were that, oh, it's okay, you can do that. And, and the satisfaction of self. And, and what, well, well, we can pull in what I want to do, and, and we can pull in, you know, if it feels good, if, if so, because it's okay, Jesus died for all. He goes on then and says a verse uh, that we're going to hear a lot. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Now, what did the Spirit say to the book of, to the church at Ephesus? Repent. repent. Why, why did they need to repent? They what? They forgot their first love. They had fallen from that first state. Do we hear what this, the Spirit is saying? We should analyze our lives. Am I still walking as I walked when I received Christ? Have I accepted the doctrines that I can do anything that satisfies my wants, desires, and lusts and think I'm still okay? To him that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Wait a minute. To him that overcometh. What, what does the church of Ephesus need to overcome? They're carnal, doing what they feels like, walking the way they want, not pursuing the love of God. So to him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the tree of life? What about to him that does not overcome? Well, yeah, you won't get it. But a lot of doctors, well, we're all the same. We all get the same thing. So if we, if we all got to eat of the tree of life, where is the tree of life? It's in heaven. Well, I will give to I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise of God. So, it appears some people don't get to eat of the tree. So, what's a qualification to eat of the tree? Overcome. To overcome, there's things I've got to fight. I've got to beat. Things that are attacking me. That, that Jesus redeemed me from. This is where I think that when we get in the book of Revelations, we've really got to look at how we live. Most people think they're so spiritual that they got it all together. What? The church of Smyrna, verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write these things. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Now, uh, uh, I think this again, we, we kind of miss. He is the first, he is the very beginning, and he is the very ending. Well, is the, is the first, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, is the first, is the beginning, before or after the Old Testament? Before. So it encompasses the Old Testament. The people are like, well, that was in the law, it doesn't apply to me. And, and here's a declaration of the one that John fell as though he was dead in front of that says, I'm from the very beginning, I'm to the very end. There ain't nothing, none of this, this stuff's all temporary. I'm everlasting. I was dead, now I'm alive. I know your works and your tribulation. 
So the people in Smyrna had gone through some things. They were working the things of God. There was tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. You know, we could say something like they, they were on the wrong side of the tracks. They, they were in the bad neighborhood, okay? Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. But again, talking to the churches, applying it to today, how many Christians live in fear? I tell you, I've been harping on this fear thing for 10 years. We've got to get out of fear. We've got to beat fear. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison. I think that's when somebody's going to raise their hand and say, uh, wait, wait, whoa, oh, what? What did I do wrong? You know, I always come back and ask, how far can you walk with God? That you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death. What a great prophecy, huh? How much do we value this world versus what Jesus has done? And I will give thee a crown of life. Now, uh, we're not going to... Hang on a second. I just... James chapter 1. See if I can find it here. Now, in James chapter 1, he starts, Count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations, knowing this, and try and give your faith, work with patience. Let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and terrible one day. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, blah, blah, blah. Go all the way down to verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So we go back over here, and... Uh, um, he said the same thing. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, how thou cannot bear them that are, which are evil, have borne, uh, has tried them, which say they are apostles and are not found as liars, has borne and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Yet, where did I lose my place on the crown of life? I was in chapter 2, wasn't I? Oh, I got all the way down. That's, that's Smyrna. Oh, I, I'm back in Ephesus. Okay. Yeah, we're in Smyrna now. Um, okay. Uh, I know thy works in tribulation, poverty, um, the blast, fear none of these things, what thou uh, behold the devil will cast you into. Uh, be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. What's the Spirit saying to the church at Smyrna? Yeah. Don't lose faith, no matter what you go through, even if it kills you. Keep your faith. Walk to the end. Don't have fear. Get fear out of your life. Endure. Enduring is not enjoying, is it? It's putting up with. Endure it to the end. He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, we're going to go into the second death later on, uh, but what is the second death? The first death is that of the body. Yeah, it's called hell. Now, there's preachers out there preaching right now. There's doctrines that are gaining popularity that there is no hell. Nobody will end up in hell. You have to violate a lot of scriptures to get that doctrine. So again, we see this to him that overcometh. What, what did the church of Smyrna need to overcome? Fear, the, to not give up during endurance, you know, to keep pressing forward. They had to come, overcome those natural physical issues in order to, to uh, uh, not be hurt of the second death. The church at, in Pergamos. And the angel of the church in Pergamos write these things, which... Uh, he which hath the sharp two edge, uh, the sharp sword with two edges. 
I know thy works. You know, this is the third time he said he knows their works. Do you think he knows your works? Yes. Do you think he knows Copi West Coast works? Yes. You know, yeah, I, I imagine he walks among us. And where you dwell, even where Satan's seat is. Now, that could be like something like in North Korea, uh, in Myanmar, in some of these countries that are just basically uh, devil controlled. That, that's where the Pergamos uh, people were. And thou holdest fast my name and has not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells. So they had one of our brethren, you know, they grab Ralph, drag him out the door, martyr him, kill him. And we watched it. Saw, saw the video on social media. Uh, you think it's not going to mess with your faith? You think fear is not going to knock on your door? They did all this, but I have a few things against you. Because that, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast stumbling blocks before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. They allowed these things to happen, and they didn't deal with it. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, we went over what they did, which thing I hate. So it says you're allowing these things to be among you, and you're not dealing with it. They probably had this happy, well, we just got to be nice and love everybody and pray that God will, will deal with them. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that has, a hear, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. So what did the Spirit say to the church of Pergamos? What's that? You got to rise up, put your house back in order. Um, put along stumbling box to be put before the children. And, and following the, the doctrines of, of self-indulgence and stuff of the Nicolaitans, to him that overcometh, to him that rises up and does this, will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, what's the hidden manna? We don't know it's hidden. <laughs> that was a setup. And I will give him a white stone... And in the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now, do you think there's going to be things that happen to those that he calls church, the church, his church, that stands against the darkness of the day? Really, what this is all describing is those who are the church, the rapture ready, redeemed, that resist darkness, the devil, and everything that would come against the church. What verse was I on? 17? I finished it. Okay. <clears throat> the church of Thyatira. Thyatira was a very interesting church to be at. We had to drive up this really tall mountain. It sat on the top of a mountain. And you, you could overlook a whole lot of uh, the area of Turkey. is beautiful. They had those uh, intact, those uh, um, auditoriums that you've seen like in Roman uh, Colosseum type things in uh it was like etched, built into, I mean, you had to like really walk, like my foot was bigger than the stone and there's no handrails. Uh, OSHA would have a field day there. Um, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God, who has eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Again, I know your works. I know your love. I know your service. I know your faith. I know your patience. I know thy works and the last to be more than the first, which meaning you started and you sped up. You, you, you increase this. You put uh, more emphasis on it. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because you suffered a woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, a lot of people like to teach teach, you know, oh, the Jezebel spirit 
and goes back to the days of Ahab, she just has the same name. Jezebel of the Old Testament, uh, the things that she did are different than the things that this lady did. This lady said she was a prophet. And they accepted it. Unlike those that tried the fruits of those who said that they were apostles and found that they weren't, just because they, she said she was spiritual and had the gift of prophecy or was a prophetess, uh, they, uh, they, they just uh, accepted it. Uh, they allowed her to teach. There's some people you don't want to teach. They may, know, they may know a lot, you know, they can refer to Bibles and stuff like that, but there's some people you don't want to teach. And to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Now remember, he's talking to the church because they're allowing this to go on. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give to every one of you according to your works. Well, that, that kind of throws out the doctrine of God's just love, and that because he loves you, you, you got heaven and everything's going to go okay. He's a, he's a God of justice. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which you have already hold, uh, but that which you have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over nation. Again we see to him that overcometh. You've got to overcome these things. And if you overcome and keep his works to the end, to him will I give power over nations. So again, as I've talked about many times, there are rank and file. There's people in various positions of authority within heaven, which we see in the church also. Go ahead, Karina. Um, this may seem like a silly question, but when it says children, I'm guessing it's not the biological children, but the people that she's growing and or following her or submitting unto her. Yeah, where did it say that? Um, In the beginning, when he says that. I know, what verse was it? Oh, and I will kill her children with death. Behold, I will cast her into the bed. They that, them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. So those are the ones that her, followed followers. her. And, and, so that means something else. I will kill her children. I'd say it's biological. So it's the curse. Like, um, who was it? that his fam the family was cursed. Oh, I can't think. Well, uh, basically, God's going to allow... Everything in the Bible is a legal system. You will reap what you sow. She has sowed unto death. She will, she's sowed to the flesh, so of the flesh shall reap corruption. This is the reason why a lot of people, they battle things in their body and they can't get victory over them is because they've sowed to the flesh. Uh Another thing a lot of people, they, they get things in their body, they can't beat them, is because they don't discern the body of Christ correctly. Communion talks about it. That's why many are sick and sleep, uh, die early, sleep early, however it says it. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of, potter, of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star, he that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit has said, uh, he that has an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. So even the things they were doing, they weren't doing that well. Remember, therefore, uh, read. Um, can you read really loud the Amplified? 
just read one and two. Yeah. Get you a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. He's gonna bring the microphone up. To the angel, divine messenger of the church in Sardis, write: These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a name, reputation, that you are alive, but in reality you are dead. And two. Wake up and strengthen and reaffirm what remains of your faithful commitment to me, which is about to die. For I have not found any of your deeds completed in the sight of my God or meeting his requirements. Um, to me, those are very serious words because we can easily deceive ourselves and think we're walking in things that we're not walking in. Remember, therefore, verse 3, how... How thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto you as a thief and upon, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now we come in and we're going to see once we get into chapter four, those who have white robes and those who had to clean their robes. He that overcometh, again we see this, you've got to overcome. The same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Well, it would mean nothing if your name could not be blotted out. And a lot of people think under this modern teaching that because Jesus died for all, all are saved. Everybody's name is in the Lamb's book of life. But we just read here that a name can be blotted out, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. Pay attention to your life. Quit thinking you're so spiritual. Pursue holiness with God. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write these things. Now, this is a different letter. He that is holy, he that is true. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. We have the ability to live before an open door that no man can shut. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know... Uh, to know that I have loved you because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from an hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Uh, hold that fast, which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So in other words, your crown can be taken. He that overcometh, again, overcoming, will I make a pillar in my temple in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear to hear, uh, what this, uh, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So notice there was no rebuke on this. They, they walked in this love, and they walked in the truths of God and they lived with an open door in front of them. You and I are living in whatsoever we sowed. Quit, quit thinking you got a raw deal. Quit thinking you're born in the wrong family, on the wrong side of the tracks, on the wrong side of the world, on the wrong side of uh, anything. We, we have been given everything to make life work because God loves us. And if we can walk in it, we can experience it all. The church of Laodicea, uh, a bad one. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write these things which saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. A lot of Christians fall into this category. They haven't turned their back on God, but they're not really doing anything or pressing toward the things of God. I would rather you were either cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods, people that look to prosperity for 
the validation that they are um, that they're walking right with God and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white garment that thou mayest be clothed and that this is a second reference to white garments uh, that 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 the shame of thy nakedness do not appear anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be jealous therefore and repent behold I stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh. Again, every letter has to him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? What if you don't under- overcome? Then you're not granted to sit with him in his throne. So there's, there's obviously class. There's obviously attainment. Even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. Unto the churches. All right, so we got through. Four is a throne set in heaven. Now, what I'm going to do um, is when we come back, I'm leaving on Monday for India, so I will not be here next Wednesday. Um, and all those that are staying away because they're afraid of Revelations, you can come back in because we won't deal with Revelations next Wednesday. Um, and uh, um, we will start with Daniel's 70 weeks and then come up in John chapter or in Revelations chapter 4. John finds himself before the throne of God. Remember going back to the verses that I point out. Immediately, he, he transferred from one place to another, found himself before the throne of God. A... a foreshadow of the rapture of the church but not everybody was before the throne of God and because not everybody is going to be in the rapture now I understand there's other doctrines out there that people teach that everybody is everybody on social media I just can't wait for to be out here the rapture of the church and it's like probably most of them are not even ready for it Um, and uh, because there's there's qualifications to it Uh, even one of the best uh uh, stories in the Bible or, or illustrations of it is the ten virgins. They were unspotted by the world. They were virgins. Uh, they had oil. They knew of the Holy Spirit, but they still weren't ready when he appeared. Let's stand. So any questions on any of this? So, so basically what we covered is uh, kind of the introduction, chapter 1, and what John was going to write to the churches. Each of the letters and picked out points within that. Is it leave anybody? Because now we get into the deeper stuff of stuff that's going on, stuff's happening, why it's going to happen. I'm going to deal with the why it's going to happen with Daniel 70 weeks before we get into why it's happening. Any questions? Anybody over here? Okay, Liz does. Is the light on? The button's at the bottom on that. On the. Um, Eleven, ten. It says um, it is for the reason that a woman ought to have authority over her head, uh, over her own head, because of the angels. Could that be applied? Kind of what it talks about revelations of the angels. Could it be maybe? No. Back in First Corinthians, he was dealing with order in the church and different things like that. Would you say it was chapter eleven? Yeah, First Corinthians eleven ten. That's where I put my uh, thing. Um. Yeah, he was talking in this chapter about proper worship, and uh, I believe in this area here. Um, he's dealing with um, Israel history as an example. So, uh, yeah, I, without studying it out, I would say that there are two separate subjects uh, on that. And he's, um, he's dealing with things going on in the church, which can be applicable. You know, we can glean things out of it because I don't think there's anything in the Word of God we can't learn from. 
Um, I was just really is just um, curious about that last thing that talks about because of the angels. So yeah. you know how it says that each church had an angel? Right. Well, you, when you get into angels, uh, it appears, at least in my understanding, that angels have been assigned to each one of us. Yeah. Angels have been assigned over churches. There, there seems to be geographic angels that are over areas and stuff like that. So um, um, I think that's going to go more into submission and honor and things of those natures and, and in that area where he's talking about worship. I don't think it has to do with what we were talking about. Uh, Ralph? Can you speak to the fact that throughout what you've been reading, he keeps saying repent. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think it's a lot bigger than what a lot of people think. That's why I've used the term, we need to live a life of repentance. In uh, 1 John um, 1.9, he says, um, I could probably quote it if I thought about it, but it's not coming to me. 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's there's things as we're crucifying the flesh and working out that, that we do things that are wrong. Our mouth, which I think is one of the biggest things, is um, uh, our mouth says a lot of things that it shouldn't say. The Bible says from the abundance of heart, the mouth speaks. So there's heart issue in it. There's mouth issue in it. And um, uh, sometimes we get angry in sin. Or the Bible says be angry and sin not. You know, there's things that we do. So living a life of repentance, I think, is something that everybody ought, ought to practice wholeheartedly. You say, well, well, what is a life of repentance? Repenting all the time. Uh, so why repent every time I go to bed? What if you get in an accident at noon? Uh, you know, live a life of repentance. Lord, cleanse my mouth. Cleanse my thought. I, I shouldn't have taken that thought. Lord, I repent of that. I shouldn't have responded to the people that way. Forgive me, Lord. I want to get better. I'm working at getting better. Help me do this. And uh, so throughout those, those words, he kept saying, repent. Get yourself back on track. Because real repentance is really not just saying, I'm sorry. It's an intention to turn and go a different direction. And uh, so I think repentance is a very big thing that we think that because we're spirit-filled we, and we're, we go to church and we're not doing the seven cardinal sins, that we don't need to repent. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. If I'm wrong, okay, I repented too many times. If you're wrong, oops, eternity you're facing now. And uh, so I like to err on the side of safety, uh, even on things that maybe my doctrine and what I believe is... Uh, a little bit too narrow, even though I read about a narrow way and few that there be on it. Most people think it, the path is wider. I may be a little bit too narrow on it, but what if I'm right? You, you're taking, the, further, the further you expand the boundaries, the more danger a person gets in, in my estimation. And I think we should do what Jesus says. So, did that answer repentance? No, I, I knew what it was, but I wanted you to speak it because... There are Christians that believe that once they've given their heart to the Lord and they've confessed their sins, that's oh, it. They're yeah, done. there's a there's a once saved, always saved doctrine. But I just read, was it two verses? Uh, one was names being blotted out, and right. the other one was uh, falling from their state. And there, actually, there was three because there was another one in there. So I, th it's a big doctrine right now because nobody wants to deal with with uh, Jesus paid the price for sin, so sin has no. Uh, but there's too many verses that a person has to violate to try to make that doctrine stick. And uh, so let's say they're right. Well, my life was a little bit maybe too boring. But what if I'm right? You're going to be begging for an air conditioner. Can I give uh, a testimony real quick? Sure. Uh, I've told you and Peter that I've had fear in my life all my life. All my life. Mm -hmm. until the middle of this year. And I finally was basically sick and tired of it, and I, and I went to the Lord, and I said, uh, what's going on? I go, I, I want to get rid of it. And he told me, uh, basically, you need to repent. Uh, repent of what? Uh, sins that you haven't confessed. Ralph, you haven't repented of sins, and sins that go back. So I said, Lord, uh, give me the memory. What were they? And he took me back to when even when I was a child. And I didn't know that. There was stuff that I had done. 
I never repented, and it was working on my soul. I didn't realize that. After I was done, I noticed about a day or two, and I think I came to you and I said, Pastor, I don't have any more fear. And I don't even think that you knew that. I was afraid of basically everything. I couldn't talk in front of people. I was afraid of doing this, of doing that. I was afraid of stepping out and trying stuff because I didn't want to fail. Yeah. And once I did that, a couple of days later, like I said, I noticed it was gone, literally gone. And I felt so light. When, so when I we, learned something from that. Yeah, when we get down to the latter part of Revelations, chapter 20, 21, something like that, talks about those in hell. It says the fearful are in hell. Now, where's the line on that? I don't know, but I'd get fear out of my life because uh, we don't know where the line is. I, I don't think everybody that has a you know, phrase going to hell, you know, but the Bible says the fearful are in hell. It's like I'd get it worked on. That's why I, I've, I've hit it so uh, hard. Bring the mic up to Tammy. Well, in two of those, the churches, it specifically talked about um, not sacrificing the children of Israel or, or what to the food um, sacrificed to idols or something, or not, not leading them to the food sacrificed by idols. So I understand what that means in those times, but how do we liken it to these times? Like Saying things that are okay that are not okay. Okay. And, and the, church, the, the church today painting with the broad brush, is saying everything's okay. It doesn't really matter what you do. And God said, no, don't do those things. And uh, so we're, they're creating stumbling blocks for people. 